Hey guys, and welcome to Awe Stories. I'm your host, Amy Green. On each episode, we share conversations of self-discovery and transformation with people stepping into being heroes of their own lives. I hope you leave feeling inspired and motivated in your own journey of self-discovery and continue to seek and find moments of wonder and awe in your everyday life. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Awe Stories. We will be talking to Tracy Roberts from the Circle Center and discussing, of course, all things circle. Why the circles work, how we have been circling in community for centuries, that this is one of our oldest practices, and how it builds and establishes trust, connection, community. As always, you can find all the resources on our website at www.abreathoffreshaw.com. Hi, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tracy. Thank you so much for being with us today. I cannot wait for our listeners to hear what you do. Would you share a little bit more about the work that you do in this world with us, please? Sure thing. I am a master's level social worker and uh, was a practicing uh, clinical therapist for about five or six years in a couple of different capacity. Worked with addicts, uh, also worked with adolescents and families, and uh, worked a lot with with homeless men in recovery. Um, And I currently facilitate peacemaking circles for a living. I love your peacemaking circles. So that's how you and I, I think, became familiar and in uh, community with each other was through your circle center. Tell me a little bit more about that. So uh, probably, gosh, I think it was in 2008, I was a clinical case manager working with homeless young people, uh, young people that were homeless, so 17 to 21 years old. And I was burnt out. If you ever seen a picture, uh, think of a picture in the dictionary of a burnt out social worker, that was me. And I was done. I was going to go work for UPS. My neighbor works for UPS. He's like, yeah, come load the docks in December during Christmas. And then you just show up on time and work your way up in initiative. And pretty soon you'll be driving a truck and, uh, I could see myself doing that, and um, an opportunity came, and I was, it, was, it wasn't even a joke. I was seriously done. An opportunity came to be trained in the peacemaking circle process up in Chelsea, Massachusetts, and I, I, I didn't want to go. I'm like, I'm done, and uh, the organization I was working with was sending me and somebody else, and I, I talked to my wife, Leanne, about it, and she said, well, if you don't want to go, that means you have to go. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what what she's talking about. I don't know what kind of new age philosophy this is, but sure. Uh, so I took her advice and leaned into my resistance and um, started a, a, a four day circle training up in up in Chelsea. Walked into the room with thirty complete strangers. They had a centerpiece. They were burning sage. They uh, used an eagle feather as a talking piece, and I was like, "These people have lost their minds." 
But one thing I remembered reading about this organization called ROCA up in Chelsea, Massachusetts, is they were facilitating peacemaking circles in big bureaucratic systems, uh, Department of Children's Services and foster care reunification programs, uh, Suffolk County school system, also in juvenile court, uh, victim offender circles. So I'm like, there may be something here because those are hard systems to get into, A, and B, if they're doing it like this, I got to know how they're doing it. And the first night was four hours, and about two hours into it, I felt my feet firmly planted in a river that I never knew existed. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to stay in social services, this is the work I'm going to do. And uh, we, shortly after that, created Circle Center LLC. And, um, gosh, I, I sound cliche that the rest is history, but that's how we got started. What a beautiful path, Tracy. You mentioned working in residential and the obstacles that came with that. I can imagine that maybe, if it's fair to say, that that job left you feeling maybe disorganized or what would you describe that feeling or that season as? Yeah, disorganized and also unproductive. Um, Feeling like, you know, I have a gift for creating relationships. And uh, the whole process of walking with somebody through their own process was a little bit more difficult than I had anticipated, especially in, in group processes like that. In, in, in residential programs, you are, people look at you in different capacities as being the expert and the friend, uh, the professional and the somebody who shoots basketball with them or something like that. And so really kind of differentiating when am I walking with you and when is it your turn to walk and never really finding my feet in that whole process. I, I think some people are really truly gifted, and I, I have met a lot of people in the residential world that seems to be their calling. I felt like I was trying to force that to be my calling. Yeah. I felt actually really similar, Tracy, when I worked in a residential center. Just the balance of role that you're talking about and the challenge of the role and when to show up and how to show up and how to be intentional about that. It can be really challenging, especially when your heart cares so much for the outcome and well-being of the person in front of you. Yeah, I can totally resonate with that. So as you stepped out of residential and stepped into doing more circle work, what did that transformation look like and how did it lead to both professional and personal growth? Well, it's, it's interesting because the work I do... I do now. So circle is a very, uh, some people think it's, I'll just use some terms I've heard, uh, touchy feely, bunchy crunchy, wishy washy. Uh, the thing I really like about the practice I have, it's very vision and goal oriented. So it's like picking up those sticks And so someone may see me in the backyard picking up sticks and like he's wasting his time or what is he doing? He looks lost. Uh, But at the end of the day, all the sticks are gone and they're in a somewhat nice, neat place to either be 
you know, remove or use this firewood. And similar process with the with the circle work I do. I know a lot of it to some people seems kind of abstract and like what's the point? And so one thing I've really learned how to do is draw a succinct goal or outcome or vision for the process. And so I think looking back at that time when I was really struggling in residential and I was find, finding clarity from doing something very concrete, uh, along the same time as being trained in circle and kind of drawing the correlation between the two. And it's very much left brain, right brain kind of world that, that we create. Uh, hopefully honoring both sides of ourselves and um, all sides of, of human being. It is a beautiful process, and I love the practice of it. Would you share with us more about what happens in circle? I think each circle, I mean, that's like such a big question because each circle is so unique and uh, unique to the people who are within the circle, right? Because it's created together, but a uh, general overview maybe of what the experience can be when you're within circle. Sure. So we're, we're usually called in uh, for a couple of different reasons. Organizations hire us. Trust is huge. And I don't, I, I don't really care where you work. Trust is an important factor. And so one of the main components of the circle process is trust building. And we do most of our trust building through storytelling. And so if an organization says we want to increase trust, uh, we'll say, well, we've got the we've got a, a great way to do that. And a lot of organizations, they want to build trust and then they want to do more. They want to improve their communication. Uh, they may want to improve how to resolve or mediate conflict. Uh, some organizations want to. How do you? Figure out how to how do you create work life balance? How do you leave your job at your job and you know your personal life at home? Uh, it's impossible to do either of those. So what we try to do is really create avenues for balance. So I like to say every circle is inherently a trust building process. And whatever you would like to do also, as long as we can do it, um, as long as we can put down a vision and say, yes, we can do that, we'll, we'll also implement other pieces in there. So what, what has naturally occurred in the, in the process of facilitating circles for nine years is our circles are normally two hours and the first half of circle is usually storytelling or talking about guidelines and values uh, this particular pattern of circles that I was trained in comes from the Tagish Klingit of the Yukon and found, it's founded in guidelines and values. So this, this process was gifted to the West. A lot of people in the restorative processes movement uh, in Minnesota and California were gifted this process and I in turn learned it further down the road. And so utilizing this gift of, of facilitating circles that are founded in guidelines and values that we all create. So we first learn how to be with each other. 
And then really the second half of the circle, maybe the second hour, maybe more soft skill development, how to communicate more effectively. Uh, sometimes we use uh, items such as Strengths Finder or the Four Agreements, just anything we can use. to. And this is all at, all at work. So people are on the clock and they're learning about each other, but also learning new skills that they can help learn with each other. So it's more of a, it's a, it's a group learning activity and it's kind of morphing into a little bit of a, a group coaching. And forgive me if I ramble, but that's just one of my strengths. No, I love it. And you're explaining the process of it. And so there's so many different places or spaces I want to step into here. So first, the storytelling component. Why storytelling and what's the value of that? So one of the first circle tenants I learned up in Chelsea uh, my first trainer, this idea, she talked about how we're more alike than we are different. And, you know, I kind of blame, I blame politics a little bit. Uh, it keeps us in our differences. I also study nonviolent communication and I have a deep understanding that we have, uh, according to Marshall Rosenberg, we have about eight or nine basic needs that we all as human beings share. We just have different strategies to meet those needs. So to say that we all have about eight or nine needs really fleshes out this idea that we are more alike than we are different. And so what happens, and I've seen it a lot, you'll have uh, two people in circle. And if you look at them, they're a different race. They're a different sex. They're in a different earning bracket. They have different One's at the top of the hierarchy, the other one's at the bottom. But when we begin to tell stories, when we begin to tell, talk about the first place you ever worked for a paycheck, or talk about the first concert you ever attended, or talk about the first car you ever called your own, that hierarchy really gets flattened. And we become to find out through our stories that we're more alike than we are different. I, I once had a senior executive in circle with uh, an administrative assistant. Uh, one of them had an associate's degree from a junior college, and the other one had her doctorate. Uh, you can probably figure out who was who. The doctorate was the senior leader. The the person with the associate's degree was the administrative assistant. So, And these people were... You looked at them and they couldn't be any more different. But the stories that they told when we talked about, tell about the first paycheck you ever collected, they both had worked at McDonald's and they both had worked at McDonald's 30 years apart. And as I sat there and I, I watched the administrative assistant talk about working at McDonald's pretty recently because she was pretty young. And we used a talking piece in circle, so the talking piece went around and other people shared. So the senior executive got the talking piece, and she shared about working in McDonald's in the 70s. And I could literally see a bridge of empathy being created between these two people who probably thought they didn't have a lot in common, when actually, just like I think everyone else, we do have more in common than we do have different. And so one thing I love about the storytelling in circle carving out some time to figure out how are we alike and what stories do we share and what commonalities do we have. And I, and I find that when you get to the other half of the circle, which is the more doing 
I think the first half is the being and the second half is the doing, is that actually once these bridges of empathy are created, uh, you can get to a good place in a good way. Tracy, what an important practice, especially as you're saying during this time where we see so much divisiveness, so much adversity, so much intolerance, blame, anger, seeing each other as being on opposite sides. I think that it's so beautiful that circle can be a process in which we can create a doorway of connection. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one of the things I found out, one of my growth areas that I've learned is no matter where I am and, and what I'm doing or where I'm going is, is, as soon as I start interacting with another human being, I have an understanding that they have a story. And I may not necessarily hear it or have time. I may be at the Mapco getting gas or Home Depot buying a ladder. But to honor that person that I'm interacting with, that they have a story, that they came from somewhere. Um, some of it is a little bit of the, the hero's journey. And so this person is a hero in their own right. And to honor them uh, and not be selfish into my own needs and just to show up as a human being and being as loving as kind as I can. Some days are better than others. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean, it's just some days I get wrapped up in all the to do's that I forget. Uh, but I can say that the more I practice being in circle, listening to other stories, the more authentically I can show up in real life and not put my judgments on other people and understand there's so much about this person that I could never understand. Um, to even think that I could figure them out just by the way that they looked or their race or their sex or, or where they worked. So. So powerful. And you talked about like falling off the horse with the practice or where ego or the to-do list or those other things in life that come up, get in the way. Yeah. What happens when you fall off and how do you get back on track? Well, I had a very wise therapist tell me once you can always start again. <laughs> True story. And uh, I used to be a person that would beat myself up and now wake up in the morning and just start all over. Uh, and, and some of that's family of origin stuff about the beating the self up. So, you know, doing my own work on the side. But one, one of my favorite lessons to learn in circle is when I have somebody new, uh, I'm meeting with a new group and we usually meet for a year. We usually do 12 months, once a month for two hours a month. And someone will sit down and I will look at them and I will say, I know who that person is based on their job title or their sex or their race. And, um, I'm wrong every time. <laughs> And it, it is just an unlearning, uh, something I learned maybe as a survival skill growing up. You put people in boxes and you judge them and then hopefully hopefully you're right, you know, sometimes. Uh, these days I just wait for people to prove my judgments wrong and I'm most likely always wrong. Has anything surprised you in Circle or what moments have surprised you the most? Well, I think uh, a classic example, we, we hear a lot about body language. And so we were a nonprofit for about two years and went back to being an LLC about five years ago. But I had a 
we used to do open houses. So once a month, we would just have circle. We were having them at the Brentwood Chamber of Commerce once a month, and we would just invite people in to experience circle. And so a gentleman showed up. He worked for the state, and he did not unfold his arms the whole time. Just sat there with his arms crossed. I think he even passed the talking piece with his arms crossed. <laughs> so immediately, this guy hates Circle. He thinks I'm a fraud. Uh, I'm amazed he's still sitting here. Um, and at the end of the Circle, I said, you know, we're looking for a couple of new board members. And if anybody's interested, just contact me with me after Circle. And I'll give you one guess who contacted me after Circle and said, well, he actually waited for me in the parking lot and said, I have to be. <laughs> He said, I have to be part of your board. This is amazing. So cool. Um, and he was on our board for a year and a half and has become a friend of mine. Um, so I've had a, I've had a, a couple of those happen. Um, and you, you experienced our training, our, our training. We have, we have some opportunities to create stress in a safe way. And, um, just watching how people handle stress um, in what I consider a very non-stressed in the big scheme of things situations sometimes surprises me and it surprises them too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the coolest part of that experience for me, Tracy was the safety, the vulnerability, the connection and community that was created almost immediately um it's it's not it doesn't take too much to step into that depth of relationship with each other and the importance of community at this time also you know just being so isolated or in these vacuums where we can only hear what we want to hear so easily and yeah. so the importance of just stepping out and being able to like you were saying experience someone who's so starkly different than us in a way that is so safe is, is such a beautiful offering. I love it. Well, what, what an, another really important lesson that I've learned from facilitating is, is every circle I show up as present as possible and not knowing what to expect. Because one thing I've learned is there's a lot of people in our, in our world who do not simply stop. And so just the, just going through the motions of stopping and breathing. Um, I've had people just start crying just because they stopped. No, it was nothing I said um, or nothing someone else said. Just the idea that their life finally came rushing in and they're able to stop and breathe. Um, and you can really get some, I've seen some people just get huge amounts of clarity and connection, what you were talking about, connecting with other human beings, stopping and listening. Uh, we've gotten so far away from that that it's just go, 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 do, do, do. The simple, the simple practice of stopping and being with each other can be very powerful. And you're talking about a while back and the roots of this. Is, so it comes out of Native practices. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And so these practices were used for what back then? I think just about everything um, from ceremony, uh, uh, rites of passage, planning. Um, 
and you know, just about, I think from the dawn of time, uh, I think people have found themselves sitting in circle. I used to work with a guy, uh, cause not everybody loves circle. And one of my circle teachers, Kay Pranis, who has written books about circle. Kay was actually the first government employee under the auspices of restorative justice in the early nineties in Minnesota. And Kay challenged me. I just called her out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm doing circle. I need help. And, uh, we began talking about people who may or may not like, who, who don't like circle. And Kay's like, well, you have to love them too, Tracy. And I'm like, well, I don't want to love them. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I want to love the people who are easy. <laughs> so I used to work with a guy, and, uh, an older gentleman, and he's like, he's like, I'm old school. I don't like this circle thing. And I'm like, how old school are you where you predate sitting in a circle? I mean, that's all and he laughed and I laughed um so you know some people will uh passive aggressively let you know they don't like circle my my favorite people who don't like circle are the ones who can tell you why they don't like it and that's okay permission to be what they need to be when they need to be it yeah so you talked about Kay Pranis. Who else or what other teachers have influenced you the most? I would say everybody I've ever sat in circle with. Um, uh, Molly Baldwin runs an organization called ROCA up in Chelsea, Massachusetts, who was my first circle trainer. I think they now, they also have a, a, an office in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is out west. So sitting in circle with Molly uh, and listening to her stories, and this is a this is a person who runs a runs a pretty big organization, and it's about thirty thousand people living in Chelsea, Massachusetts, about four square miles, and uh, lots of struggles with crime and oppression and, and things like that, and just being trained by her right off the bat was, was really helpful because she got some resistance from people who were in the training and I just watched her handle it and not plug into it and take it personally. Um, which was pretty amazing. Uh, I also, the first couple of years I facilitated with circle, I facilitated circles with teenagers, which was, uh, I, I, I love, how candid teenagers can be. And yeah. so a lot of times when I work with adults, like I said, the whole passive aggressive things, I think we're taught not to show our emotions and we're taught in sometimes some unhealthy ways of, of hiding our emotions. And uh, a lot of the teenagers I worked with were not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, just some really great, opportunities for them to be as real as possible and the rawness of their emotion really made me lean into the process rather than try to figure out the process myself because as the facilitator I'm really there creating a space where everybody can join in and solve a problem or chime in on a solution to a problem, but it's 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 my role really just to make sure we end on time and that we use a talking piece, we have guidelines and values, and that there's physical and emotional safety. 
Um, and I really liked how some of, some of the teenagers would just flat out say, this is what's going on and it's wrong, rather yeah. than dancing around an issue. And it, it, I used to say, trust the process because it sounded cool. But after facilitating circles for a couple of years with teenagers, I finally understood what trust the process means because all we have is each other. Yeah. And like I said, within the confines of is there physical and emotional safety, how do we get to a good place in a good way? And, and the circle process, they really taught me how to lean into the process and kind of let let go of my ego saying, well, I can fix this or I'm right. Yeah. Or that you can, e- yeah, like you were saying, like like you can even fix some of the bigger problems that teenagers may have had, especially in residential. Yeah. Some of those problems go so deep that, you know, you wish you could do something, but they run so deep. All you can do is just be with them. Yeah. And that's another great lesson I learned is uh, the lesson of silence. You know, as a therapist, I used to practice silence, but it seemed like something I was pulling from an internship I did at a psych center. In circle, it's more of a collective being with somebody who may be in pain and, and doesn't need any words. They just need to be in a space where everybody can sit and be safe with them. Tracy, so I'm sure that as you've been sitting in circle over the last years, you've collected some really fascinating and really transformative stories where people have been changed. I think it would be really fun for our listeners if they could hear some of the transformational stories. Let me share one of my favorite stories. Uh, So I've I've been with some organizations meeting monthly in circle for eight, nine years. And uh, so I was with a group. I was my third year into with a group and we were just doing an opening check-in. So an opening check-in is basically after we have an opening reading or or a centering process where we may do some some breathing. Um, we'll just pass the talking piece around and just have everybody check in. How are you doing? Talking piece goes around, and the executive director of this organization, probably 15 people worked there, uh, he got the talking piece to my right, and he began to talk about how they missed out on this $900,000 grant. And at the end, he said, you know, Everything's going to be all right, though. We're, we're going to make ends meet and this, that, or the other. So I got the talking piece back, and I had an agenda for the day of what we were going to talk about. And somebody's hand went up across the circle. And sometimes protocol gets broken without the talking piece. So we suspend the talking piece and say, I asked a gentleman if he had a question. And he's like, yeah, I don't really like the whole things will work out. We missed out on a $900,000 grant. Uh, that seems a little bit kind of Pollyannish to me. Can we talk about that next month? And me, and I jokingly say in my infinite wisdom, I said, well, it is next month. And I passed the talking piece and everybody chimed in on their feelings because it's a small organization. When it's that few people, everybody kind of knows what that effect has. But what they drilled down on, and this was on the clock in the middle of the workday, they broke into a discussion between the difference between predestination and free will. 
And I, you know, I look at my agenda. I'm like, this is definitely not what I had on my agenda today. Um, and the thing about it is everyone honored the talking piece. Um, there was the low person in the hierarchy there. There was the executive director. Nobody talked over anybody. Um, and they talked about predestination and free will and what strategies do you use when things don't go your way? So they started out with personal stories and then, and this is just what evolves or morphs or emerges in the circle process is they, they talked about it from an organizational stance. This is what happens when things don't go your way. And I made sure they ended on time, which they did. And I took credit for creating a safe space, but that's about it. Um, and ending them on time. Cause I think they could probably still be talking. <laughs> uh, those are my favorite circles when something greater emerges. And if you put, if you, if you build enough trust, um, if you tell enough stories, Something greater will emerge when people let go of their titles and their authority and their ego. And so people had a deeper understanding of what that executive director meant will be okay. Becomes a collective meaning as opposed to an individual meaning. Yeah. And so when just go back to the guidelines and values real quick. And so everybody comes up with the guideline or value of what they want to practice in that space how they think collectively people, uh, a good way to follow or individually a good way to follow. And so people use the word respect a lot or non-judgmental. So the purpose of circle is not to declare and argue why your definition of non-judgmental or respect is the best or whatever guideline or value. The purpose of circle is to have a deeper understanding of what the other eight or 20 people's definitions of those words are. And it gets you out of an argumentative state and into more of a receptive state. It's so important, especially in a workplace where you do have all those different personalities coming together some introverted, some extroverted, all the Myers-Briggs hierarchy of emotion right. and personality all showing up in all their own different ways on top of, I mean, you could add the layer of social work and they're the family of origin issues and all of those things that just get poked at every day. Yeah. And I, just one more quick story. So we, we do a lot of circles in healthcare and we carve out storytelling for people to tell a story when a, when a vendor or a client uh, has made an impact on their life. And so you have marketing people there, you have IT people there, you maybe have senior leadership and they don't do face-to-face -face work with, with the patients or clients. And so when the social workers and the nurses begin to tell their stories, these are mission, vision-driven stories. And I hear so many of the senior senior uh, executives or the IT people or the marketing people, they will just flat out thank the, the social workers and the, the nurses for these stories because they lose sight of the mission and the vision when they're doing the marketing 
or they're doing the leadership stuff and they don't get to do the one-on-one, the face-to-face with the clients and the patients. And so for me, working in healthcare, I think that's a really big advantage of Circle. It really keeps the mission and vision real and alive rather than just something written on the wall. Because these seniors, these senior executives in marketing and IT people, they have other they have other goals, they have other outcomes in order to make it possible for the social workers and nurses to do their job. And, you know, we get in there and we talk about all of those things so everybody can feel the value that each other brings. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. I, I think sometimes that gets lost in the to-do list. Well, and always being able to circle back to that, why are we here? What is yeah. our why? What is our collective why as well? But like, even why do I want to come and show up to this job every single day? And how do I connect with the mission and the values of this organization that I work for? So it is meaningful work and it's heart work. And it's not just, you know, exactly how you felt years ago, showing up to a job that you really did not resonate with, ready to go and work at UPS, which Tracy, that's an image in my head that I will never lose (laughs) trying to picture you in that UPS outfit with brown socks. I just can't picture it. It almost happened. (laughs) I'm so glad that they sent you for a training because where would you have ended up and this beautiful gift that you now share with the world, you know, it's, it's exactly what you were meant to be doing, Tracy. Thank you. So if our listeners wanted to begin in a circle practice, or were interested in learning some of these things that you have spoken about today, where would you recommend that they start? Well, we usually offer two circle trainings a year. Uh, it's, it's usually the second half of our Friday and then all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And we announce those on our website, uh, Um, so we do two of those a year, um, and then just organizations that are hungry to build community, to build trust, uh, to, to even, I dare say, to deliver a better product. Um, I worked with a program manager once, and I don't know the first thing about program management, but she said, you know, if you don't build trust in the first couple of months if in a five-year project, you're not going to go in two years into it and go back and get trust. So I think people starting out in new projects and organizations, um, you know, there, there's an organization I've been with for, we're closing up our eighth year dispensary of hope, and I started with them their third year. And um, they have doubled in size and circle is just the norm now. Um, so I, I see a real benefit for brand new organizations and also organizations that have gotten stale. I think most people want more out of coming to work and getting a paycheck. Uh, so learning about your coworkers, creating trust, and also learning together the soft skill development. It's just if you can really learn together and have a little bit of accountability from what you've learned, uh, it can be a pretty amazing. So organizations that are kind of stuck and want to innovate, I think we're very helpful with those organizations too. And then are there any other resources that if outside of organizationally, if people wanted to circle together, where would you send them or where would you tell them to start? 
Um, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I mean, out, outside of our training, there there are there are d- different places you can re- restorative practices and restorative justice movement has really picked up a lot of steam here in Nashville. I know there's a, there are a, a couple of programs in metro schools, and I think juvenile court is beginning one. Um, so, you know, plugging into any of those if you can, um, it's a pretty wide open field. Um, I see a lot of people use circle process, um, but they may not call it circle process. You know, they may call it something, something different, or they just may use bits and pieces. It's, it's the oldest, it's one of the oldest processes on the planet. And so I think, you know, some people who come to my training, they didn't even realize it's kind of what they were doing in the first place until I kind of pointed out, it's like, you've kind of been doing this and some people are just more natural at it than others. I was very fortunate to work at a nonprofit. So I had a kind of a captive audience for the first two years that I learned about circle where I could, I could facilitate three circles a month working with teenagers. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for hanging out with us and for sharing all of your stories and the beautiful process of circling. We so appreciate you being here with us today. Sure, it's been an honor and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for listening today and joining us for this episode of Awe Stories. To find show notes from this episode and more, please visit www.abreathoffreshawe.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Breath of Fresh Awe. We hope you feel more motivated in your journey of self-discovery and as always, create more moments of wonder and awe in your everyday life. Tune in next week for our next episode.